Wouldn't it be great if you could get one copywriting client and turn that one job into an ongoing series of jobs without any extra effort? If you're interested in learning how to secure monthly retainers so that you don't have to constantly seek new work, this is the podcast for you. In today's episode, we talk to Amy Lee O'Donnell. Amy is a leading digital marketer, social media manager, and copywriter. And her superpower, if you like, is how to turn one-off copywriting jobs into long-term retainer contracts. And today she's going to give us a detailed blueprint on how she does it and how you can do it too. Launching your copywriting career can be daunting, but if you do a few small things consistently, you'll find that the copywriting leads just roll in. And one of those things could be enrolling in a short course. Gabby Pastor from Quill Copywriting did, and this is how it helped her. She said, I lost my job during the pandemic, and this course gave me the push I needed for years to start my own business. I did the course nine months ago and have had a regular stream of copywriting clients ever since. Take a look at our short courses in copywriting to see how you can find a regular stream of clients too. And of course, you can also join Copy Club, a community of copywriters where you can learn and connect with others, find work, get upskilled through our learning hub, and much more. Find out more at copyclub.com.au. I hope you enjoy our chat today with Amy Lee. If you're already listening to our podcast, please leave a review. We'd love to know what you thought. Amy Lee, we're here together to talk about copywriting and retainers. So first up, what is a retainer? How does that work? A retainer is simply a a package of your services as a copywriter um, so that the client can enjoy your services ongoing and you get a steady income um, as a freelancer. And I imagine that's quite attractive to a copywriter because a lot of our time may be spent looking for clients. But what you're saying is as a retainer, you've already got it. So you don't have to spend all that time looking. You just do the work. Is that an accurate summation? Absolutely. It's not uncommon to hear that freelancer life is very feast versus famine. Sometimes you'll have next to no work on and be actively seeking. And then suddenly you're inundated and everyone wants you at once. Um, I suppose if you're good with your money and your time, you could make that work. But I wanted to achieve a steady current of income that would um, at least be the bread and butter to underpin my life as a freelancer. And the key to that I found was in um, creating retainers. And why do you think copywriters don't do this? You know, because it seems like a logical thing to do. What's stopping copywriters, do you think, from initiating those discussions with clients? Is it just lack of education or awareness? You know, I really don't know. Probably. I think clients don't tend to suggest it. Um, And even if they do, they maybe don't word it that way. They'll say, I just want you to do one blog a a week or one blog a month. And then, you know, it it still feels ad hoc though, because there's no guarantee. But when you do want to keep that, you know, going regularly, you can absolutely create a retainer package for those clients. And it's definitely something that copywriters should consider doing more often. I guess the clients are feeling a bit fearful that they'll lock themselves into something that they can't get out of, especially if they're not certain that the copyright is right for them. So I guess it's a bit of a suck it and see kind of situation. Look, maybe uh, there's two ways you can approach retainers. You could either from the get-go say, let's do a retainer. I can see that this package is going to suit your needs. I'm going to tailor it to meet your marketing goals. Um, Let's go. Or you can wait and see. If you're not sure about a client or they're not sure about you or you're not sure about the workload that you can handle at this point, give it a go. See how long those blogs are taking you each month. See how long it takes you to write the the copy for their socials. And if it feels great and it feels like a good fit, then you can look at packaging it up into a retainer and 
maybe chuck in some extra services along the way, but sweeten the deal with a, a slightly reduced rate on everything. Uh, with the knowledge that, you know, you've got that steady income for what, three months, six months, 12 months. I've had clients on retainers for um, over eight years. That's very nice. And I imagine just the three months is a little bit of a nice sort of introduction so they feel that they can escape if they wanted but long enough to get the experience of having things done without having to brief it in every month or week. Absolutely. And that's really one of the huge benefits is that time saving on the briefing process, because once you're comfortable with a client and they're comfortable with you, the briefing process is just so easy. And we all know how hard briefs can be um, for both parties, for all parties involved. But that's one of the many benefits of retainers is I find that everyone knows what page they're on, they know what they're doing, and they're ready to get stuck in and you save so much time. I imagine also that there's a lot of trust where you become them after a while and they don't need to worry because it's just being done and it's in their voice and they can trust that the quality is there. That, that must be a lovely sort of stage to get to. It's fantastic. Um, like I said, I've had these clients for so long and I often feel like we are um, colleagues, co-workers, even friends. It doesn't feel like that um, sort of that, that nervousness that you often have with a client-copywriter relationship where, you know, will they like what I'm doing? Um, you know, is this, how, is this how they want me to say it? I do. I almost feel like, you know, with my clients, I just put on the hat for that particular client and become them when I'm um, doing their work and I get to know their businesses so intimately. Um, and it's actually really beautiful. It's really rewarding way to work as a copywriter because you start to really believe in what you're doing and you feel that your client um, values you. It's a really hugely mutually beneficial and mutually respectful relationship that you can develop with a long-term retainer client or a short-term one, really. Yeah, and I think it must just take out that, not the combative nature of that sort of, as you said, the client sort of copywriter relationship. It's it's more a partnership that we're in this together and you're not feeling like you're being held to account all the time, even though there, there is that, of course, but that sense of um, you, you just do it and you get on with it rather than waiting to see what the reaction is, which I think is quite stressful. Yeah, I think that team mentality takes out the, you know, that suspicion that clients have of you sometimes where they're like, is this, is this your best work? And are you doing it? Are you doing it the way I said you should do it? And are you the best copywriter for this job? You, you feel like you have to prove yourself all the time to clients. And it really um, takes that pressure off. And I think with that pressure gone, you, you write better. Yeah. You know, you, you become a better copywriter um, as a result. And who doesn't want that? And I think also what you probably do is you become more of a consultant in the, in the true sense. You go, you make suggestions and you have the freedom and the confidence to say, have you, do you want to try this? You know, I saw this being done. Can we do it with you? So rather than just get what you pay for, you're actually getting an extra value because you are that true, I'm helping, you know, rather than just giving you what I paid for. Absolutely. I have gone into meetings with some of my retainer clients where, and I tend to lead the meeting because I'm all, almost there on, as as a special consultant um, and they're like, you know, Amy Lee's here and she does our, our, our marketing um, copywriting and our blogs. And because often, often the marketing team need a copywriter, there's this thing where people believe that the marketers and marketing, you know, coordinators uh, are also copywriters. And then very rarely is that the case. Um, and so the, the marketing team, you know, you work really closely, closely with them and they really value what you do because you bring their campaigns to life. Um, and I've gone into these meetings and they really listen to everything you say, especially when you've developed that really strong, beautiful relationship with them. 
Let's talk about what you can actually put in a retainer package. So maybe talk to us, Emily, about the mediums that you work in, the formats, so that people can start to get an idea of how they can particularly um, structure their own retainer package. Absolutely. So there's no, I don't think there's a, you can have a retainer model that's too small or too big. I, I think, you know, if it works for you and it adds to your ongoing income and you've got the time to incorporate that and you enjoy it, I think take it on. So whether it's one blog a month, that's fine. If, you, if someone wants to lock you in for one blog a month, guaranteed for three months or guaranteed for six months or however long, um, I, I don't see why you would not be comfortable uh, in doing that. Um, it's not just blogs, though, of course. So you could do maybe a monthly social media content calendar. So it might be that you write a month's worth or, or three months or six months worth of social copy for a client. And it's something that they go over each month and, or, and approve. And then you get started on the next and um, you just charge them monthly for that. Uh, it might be a series of EDMs, you know, an email nurture series or um, for some clients, you know, you package it all together. You give them their social media copy. You give them two blogs a month um, and then you'd put together an email each month. And maybe once a quarter, there's an agreement that you do a lead nurture piece, maybe an ebook or information report of some sort for their sector and you package it all up um, and that's it there you go you're off and running mm. let's talk about the agreement because I imagine it, it all comes down to what do you promise and what other expectations and that's where things can go off the rails so what happens when well let, let me ask this what do you put in the agreement what kind of topics do you cover well I would definitely cover off first and foremost um, that it would not I, I don't recommend doing an hours-based arrangement because you end up penalising, you, you penalise your own productivity and who wants to do that? There's no reason. And I think that goes without saying for any type of copywriting. I don't believe that hours-based um, pricing is a good way to go because I personally can write really fast. It's um, one of my, part of my flavour is that I'm quite a fast copywriter. I think I do a lot of the thinking, um, you know, when I'm away from the computer and by the time I get down to write something, it just... Is ready to go and so hours-based retainers I think are risky business people start to really want to hold you accountable for every second of those hours that you've promised um, so I would do it based on deliverables you know each month by the 30th of, or the last Wednesday of the month whatever you want it to be um, you know I will have delivered the the retainer package I will have provided you with your two blogs your social media calendar to go over and you know your monthly EDM and I guess one of the tricky things here is that people often say, well, what if I want it next month instead of this month? How do you go about rolling things over? And it's kind of personal for each copywriter, how they want to approach that. You know, it might be that you do have quite a flexible approach to the way you work and you're quite comfortable to roll over a blog to the next month, but it does have to be discussed. And of course, anything above and beyond the originally agreed scope needs to have um, some pricing attached to it. You know, is it the same rate if you do an extra blog that month? Can they take it out of the next month and have it for this month? And it, look, it's all easily resolved, but you do need to put some thought into it and have a really open, transparent discussion with the client about it. What do you think works well for you? Do, you? do you like to roll things over? Would you rather just have it very fixed? That this is what it is and then they get to understand that and they don't even ask for it anymore. What, what are some of the you know, the things that you like to do that work well for you? 
for me, it would depend on how long I've had the client or how much I trust that client. Um, you know, you don't want to get taken advantage of. You don't want them to sort of smash everything into one month and then leave you high and dry. Or I think you've got to be careful. Um, but I, I'm usually quite comfortable to roll something over within reason. And I guess it comes down to, again, that honesty and transparency. A similar conversation I've had with clients is usually around holiday time because obviously you've, you've got retainers going month in, month out. When do you take a break? Um, how does that work? And, you know, you can approach that a few different ways as well. You can cram a whole lot of work in before you go on your holiday and let them know, I want briefs in early, guys. I'm going away next month. Um, can we make that happen? Obviously, you can work poolside on your holiday as well, which is is pretty fine too. So it, it depends. Um, you might pause some of your retainers and then leave others going. But so for me, I'm pretty flexible at, about how I approach the retainers, whether I'll roll over or not. And I, I just keep it an ongoing discussion. You know, I maybe not necessarily have, um, if it's a client I trust, not necessarily have a, a rule for it. And I just keep that conversation going. What about when people want to know if you're doing the work or not? I guess that's part of the transparency as well. But what are your thoughts around that? Because I imagine there is an opportunity for others to get involved so that you don't have to do it all yourself. You know, and obviously that's how lots of businesses run. What are your thoughts around that? Is it just about telling them what you're doing and how you're doing it? Yeah. Oh, I, you know, it's really tricky, isn't it? Because sometimes you think that could easily be outsourced, but they think they're getting me. Is that okay? Um I'm quite comfortable if I'm doing quality control. I don't think there's anything wrong with outsourcing things as long as you're still overseeing it. Mainly, not so much for the client. Obviously, you want them to get a high standard of work, but it's for you. This is your reputation on the line. So there's no way that you want to outsource things and then send them on over to the client without looking at them. If you are going to get a bit of extra, extra assistance with servicing that client, either be transparent with them that you're not doing all of that work or make sure you're 100% across that quality control. Mm. What about when clients say that I want you to be exclusive to my sector or my industry? Has that happened to you? And if so, how do you manage that? Because if you become a specialist in something, you obviously want to have the freedom to work with whoever you want. Absolutely. I have been approached. Um, I have One of my major clients has, is... Um, an RTO and so they provide courses they're quite a, a, a big RTO and I had a competitor RTO approach me unknowingly I don't think they knew that I was writing for this other RTO and um, I as a matter of personal choice and um, I, I thought it was unethical for me to take on that client knowing that they were a competitor um, and knowing that I had inside information about the SEO strategy of my existing RTO client, it felt yucky. <laughs> and so it, it had never been discussed. No one had ever asked me if, you know, um, no one had mentioned that conflict of interest uh, and what would happen if that came up. But for me, it's just about being ethical about the way you approach that. Um, I don't think it's the right thing to do. Hmm. So what happens when someone's a specialist in, say, the financial sector or something like that who might be listening going, well, I'd love some retainers. What are some strategies that you can give to people so that they can do a deep dive into that sector without worrying about, um, you know, revealing things that they might do for another client? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, you're probably referring to as well, if you've worked with someone previously, you no longer work with them, but then you want to get back into that sector with another client who probably is a competitor. Um, it, it's tricky, isn't it? But you can certainly specialise without having too much of that overlap, I think. Um, I've accidentally niched in a lot of wellbeing work. So I write a lot that's around mental health and wellbeing and it just sort of happened. Um, but none of those clients are remotely connected or related. They are, you know, most fields are pretty broad. And even when you're working with specialists in specialised fields, there's always a way to continue to really be successful in that, in that space without having any issues with overlap. I guess it's also about saying, you know, you're, you're good at this because you've been doing it such a long time so you can actually be useful to this new client because you know it so well so you can be quite efficient with your writing and just have that honestly. Because I think the last thing you want is for clients to go, hey, I just noticed that you turned up on this particular channel here and I didn't realise you were working for that client. So I think it's always comes, like for me, I like to sleep well at night. You know, that's yeah. that's my goal and I don't want anything worrying about, oh, can someone find out about something? That is such a stressful way to live. So I think it's, as you say, just be upfront. And if you want to sort of rephrase it or reposition it to say, look, I won't take on any direct competitor, but, you know, let's just look at what I can do for you because I know the sector so well. So, you know, I guess it's about having that conversation. It really is. And, you know, there is that element of confidentiality, I think, that exists without it needing to be said as well, obviously. Don't take an idea from one client and repurpose it um, directly for another client. You know, you can be inspired by what someone else's marketing looks like, um, including your own clients and work you've perhaps already done. But get creative about it. You know, have some self-respect. Get creative about it. And, you know, there's always a way to keep leveraging your expertise in a really ethical, comfortable way that you can definitely sleep at night. Yeah. What about when clients ask you to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement? Is that something you're comfortable doing? Yeah, I've, I've signed many. Um, it's usually when I work with agencies, actually, that they tend to, I suppose agencies, you know, do have um, quite formal contracts with their clients a lot of the time. And so that, that's usually when I've had to, to sign an NDA. Um, and I'm usually comfortable to do so. There's no reason, there's not, I can't think of any reason why I wouldn't sign them. Um, and you've just got to be mindful. Again, it's about you know, being, being smart about the way you approach your work as a copywriter. May I suggest that people actually read the NDA? <laughs> it's always a good idea. <laughs> I mean, it sounds really corny, but a lot of people just sign stuff without really reading it. And mostly it won't come back to haunt you. But on that day that it does and you're scrambling for that contract, you know, it's really worth looking at and understanding it. Because you might want to send a contract to someone else one day. So just the more you can think like a lawyer, because I've got to be honest, I'm not, my brain doesn't think legalese and I'm really not strong at reading that language. I find it very stressful and exhausting to do so. It's just not my predisposition. So for me to do that, as a friend of mine said, Bernadette, you need to think like a lawyer. You know, when you're into that bit of the business, you've got to think like a lawyer and you've got to read it like a lawyer and ask questions and don't just sign it willy-nilly and just assume that what's on there you have to sign. You can challenge that. You can say this clause is not a, not suitable for me, you know, so don't sign something that you think you have to just to get the job because it might be good in the short term, but it might cost you later on. Absolutely. I, in my previous life working in an ad agency, I did have to sign and I was, I think, 20 
and I signed the um, contract without reading it properly. And it did say that you were banned from working um, within a certain kilometre radius with any other advertising agency um, for X amount of time. And I remember looking at it thinking you basically can't and you just wouldn't be able to get another job. It was quite a huge, it was like 50 kilometre radius or something absurd. And they were basically banning you from getting another job anywhere. So, yes, definitely read the contract. I agree. Yeah, and look. It's up for discussion, isn't it, too? You know, I guess some people are feeling, well, I'm not in the box seat here. I don't have the power to challenge. But it's like you say, if you'd sign that and then you lose your job for whatever reason, then you can't get a job. So you do have to look at the longer picture, the bigger picture as to how this might cost you down the track. And I think that's only me just getting a bit more mature and a bit more responsible as I got older because I was a pretty cavalier, I think, in my early days with things like that because I just assumed they had my best interest out, right? And yeah. and often people don't. So you've got to be careful. And that's just something that comes from experience and signing stuff. You go, oh, right, won't do that again. Um, let's talk about insurances because I guess when you're a on a retainer, there might be work that you do, which is customer-facing, whereas a lot of um, copywriters maybe just give the content to the client and then the client is responsible for publishing. But in your role, you are publishing to the public and Let's talk about how you get those approvals, what levels of approval and what kind of insurances that you might engage to protect yourself. Yeah, look, sometimes, so depending on the client, sometimes I um, do just provide the work back to the marketing departments and then it's all with them. And thankfully at the moment, all of the work I'm doing really just goes back to the client's um, marketing teams and then they you know, take responsibility from there. A lot of them have their own legal teams as well who go over things um, or they might have, um, you know, someone who fact checks some things, especially in when I write for the mental health sector, there's a lot that they need to look over to ensure that it's um, compliant. But in the, I've done a lot of consulting work as well um, and the public liability insurance is, is pretty important. You know, if you're giving people advice on... Um, things that can, you know, if, you're, if you're giving advice that could have a negative effect on someone's life or their business, then you do need to, to cover yourself, definitely. Um, and I think a lot of agencies do require you to have certain insurances in place to it. It's something to check with your client what they would like you to have, what sort of coverage they would like you to have. Obviously, it's quite expensive. So if you're a freelancer, it might not be something you need. So do check with your clients, um, whether you're a retainer or not. I think check with the clients that you're working with and find out whether they would require you to have that or whether they have their own insurances in place. I know that um, I get asked this question a fair bit about insurances. And one of the ways around it, if, if somebody won't work with you unless you've got insurance, is to take out the insurance for the duration of that project. And when it's done, it's done. And then you can cancel your insurance because it's generally done on a monthly basis and you can do pro rata. So that is worth considering as well so that you can get those government jobs or those, you know, big corporate companies who do require that kind of coverage. Definitely. Um, you've been in the business a long time, Amy Lee, and you've been very successful at what you've you've done and doing. What, what sort of tips or strategies would you give to people who are maybe starting out and looking for clients in that business development sort of area? What, what, what can they do that's going to increase their chances of finding new clients? It's funny, I um, and I guess this plays back into my obsession, shall we say, with retainers and, and creating that sort of retainer model for my business. Um, 
I had a boss who told me when, when I was in that ad agency when I was 19 and he he was not a pleasant person really but um but his motto was that your best client or customer is the one you already have and it's been so true so once you have one client or you've done some work for one person don't assume that that's it it does not have to be it you know that one client you've already got if it if it went well keep going down that path because you know there could be a treasure trove of work there for you and that has happened to me so many times um and and trying to nurture those relationships and getting that repeat client is just a gold mine for any any freelance copywriter or for anyone really i suppose you know the the client and customer you have worked with already and it's gone well and there's hopefully going to be a lot more work for you there who knows maybe you just have to find that one or two clients and and then that's it for life i don't know but but as far as finding clients elsewhere, um, I would love to say you should definitely market yourself on social media and, and do all the th those things, and you definitely should. But I've never done it. I've never marketed my business, not even for a second. I think I have a website out there that I built um, when I was, yeah, 21. But I, I, I probably should look into that Um isn't it lame that, you know, you, you but it's like the cobbler's children have no shoes, you know, and the dentist kids have got, you know, bad teeth. It's just that you're busy doing what you're doing. So you don't need to take care of your own it's, sort it's of backyard. Exactly, it is exactly yeah. that. And yet I judge my hairdresser's hair. Maybe I shouldn't, <sighs> I need to rethink that. Um, but as far as finding new clients and maybe if you're just starting out or, or you've just hit a really rough patch, they're out there. There's plenty of work for everybody it's about every interaction you have, looking at it, not being, you know, that sort of monopoly man with a hat on looking for opportunities all the time, but being genuine and saying, well, I'm a copywriter. And, and, and as a copywriter, I think one of the key things we do is we really help people who struggle to get a message across, to inform, to, you know, um, get people feeling something, to persuade people to to share a message with the world. And I think we do good work for the most part. I think, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not bad people. I think copywriters are really wonderful um, contributors to the world. And let people know that you're a copywriter at every opportunity you get. You know, if you hear someone saying that they've got this great business idea, let them know that you could help them craft that messaging. If you see someone who's sent you an EDM and they're a a business with great potential but the edm was really iffy get in get in touch with them and say hey I, I love what you're doing but i think i could help you do this better um there's there's opportunities everywhere you've just got to think creatively and um back yourself and put yourself out there mm. and what kind of skill sets do you think the copywriter of the future needs moving forward what should copywriters be thinking about in terms of upskilling I think for any business, um, but definitely for copywriters, that commitment to ongoing self-improvement is essential. Um, I think we should always be learning. I think it's a real shame when people uh, rest on their laurels and, you know, it's not even just about copywriting, but even that personal development work that you can do on yourself will help you become a better copywriter. Um, but the copywriter of the future needs to be social media savvy. 100%. And we probably need to 
what I found beneficial is expanding my skill set to, you know, doing short courses in graphic design. Um, you know, you don't have to be a jack of all trades as such, but it can be immensely helpful to at least understand more about how a designer approaches their work, how a web developer approaches their work. I think user experience is essential to, to understand. You know, if you're going to write a landing page, you need to know how people behave. Um, I remember at uni, like doing a, I did this minor one year at uni in behavioral psychology. And that one unit has been invaluable to my career as a copywriter. So I think, you know, looking at, at as a thriving copywriter of the future, consider learning more about people, learning more about what makes people feel a certain way, learning more about, you know, getting stuck into the English language a little bit more, do some research about how we can better use words, especially when we look at, you know, our devices in our pockets that you, know, you sometimes need to use very few characters to get a huge message across. So the more savvy you can be with the basics of the, the human language, like the English language and, and human behaviour, then the better copywriter you're going to be. And look, like everything, it, it takes time doesn't it because it takes actually a longer time to write a short message than it does a longer message so in terms of you know little subject line or whatever it actually takes a lot of skill to write that and I think um, in terms of where I think people could be looking to as SEO as search engine optimization copywriting because I think it's obviously it's been around for a while now but for the vast majority of small businesses out there they're not familiar with it it's a little bit of a you know an area that makes them feel uncomfortable because they don't understand it. And I think the copywriters who are already struggling potentially with a little bit of imposter syndrome about, well, surely they can do this too. What value do I add? Surely anyone can write. Well, that's we know that's not true anyway. But when you can come in with an SEO copywriting perspective where there are some very specific hotspots on the website, certain you know keyword tools and some you know domain authority links and all those kinds of technical even though they're not really technical but they perceive to be technical you can add a lot of value and it can increase your confidence so just by even doing a short course like we run you know on seo nice little plug there just put that one in um but you know when you do take that opportunity to do a deep dive into a topic you can approach that you get a bit refreshed as well i think you can sort of get fall in love again with what you're doing like you might have already been doing it feeling a bit jaded you know, user experience in opportunity or, you know, Google AdWords or Google Analytics, you know, just choose a topic that you don't know about, but commit to finding out about. And suddenly you go, wow, I could add this to my skill set. I could add this to my retainer package. And suddenly you become very valuable to that client because they're not going to move on from you when you know their analytic history. What are, you, what are your thoughts around that kind of um, idea? Absolutely. I, again, like having an insight into how the... We're, as copywriters, we're rarely a standalone piece. Um, you know, we have to, we're a cog, not a tiny and significant cog, but we're part of a, a working machine. You know, we need to work, our copy has to work with the web developers, with the SEO strategy, with so many different elements of a marketing strategy, uh, whether we're undertaking those or not. And we need to be able to understand, though, how we fit in to the, you know, what our role is um, and understanding everyone else's roles is, is a huge part of that, of course. I did another podcast with a woman called Vicky Ann Cragen who runs a recruitment company for copywriters and art directors and other creative people. And it was interesting, her perspective was, you know, you've got 
your marketing, you talked earlier about the marketing department don't necessarily have copywriting skills, which I think is always a surprise to other people because I think, well, you're in marketing, surely you're a writer. Not necessarily, right? So there's that marketing skill that people need to get their head around, you know, what is that buyer journey? What are those behavioral science elements that make people do what they do? And then there's the actual writing of it. And then there's actually the creation of the content in terms of some of that graphic design you talked about, you know, uploading of videos. Um, and then of course, there's the analytic side. So, you know, what she was saying is that this, this person who can embody all those skills is a unicorn and they were her words. They're really hard to find. So I guess moving forward, if, you, if people are thinking about how they can create that point of difference and add value and, and, and have a premium price point, be those things, develop those skills, you know, so that you can walk in with that suite of, of tools that others can't necessarily um, do as well. Yeah, strive to be that copywriting freelance unicorn. That's it. I think, I think that's a great idea. That's a lovely way of wording it as well. Yeah. So, Emily, I want to thank you for your time today and sharing with us how you do it. It's fascinating and I think a lot of people would be inspired by that because to have that sense of continuity and money just coming in without them having to reinvent the wheel because there's a lot of effort with that, isn't there? New clients and briefing and the invoicing. With you, it's just copy-paste. I mean, not the content, of course, but the invoice. <laughs> Absolutely. I save so much time on invoicing because um, mostly it's the same. And, and if you're worried about stagnating, though, which some people do say, don't you get bored of writing for those same clients? You know, leave a bit of space each month to do something you love, to work on a, um, you know, a different project. Always save space for something ad hoc because, you know, you don't want to have to say no to something that's going to be really fun. Um, but, you know, at least with a retainer here or there, you can have that bread and butter money. You know, the rent can be paid. The mortgage can be covered um, by having a retainer in place to support you in whatever, whatever other freelance endeavours you want to pursue. And, of course, a lot of copywriters do copywriting for that very reason. They're actors, they're musicians, they're songwriters, they're, you know, they're, they're trying something else and they want to have that baseline income coming in so that they can free up their mind to really focus on their true creative passion. And I think that's what I'm all about is using copywriting as a means to an end for people. It, it might be the career of your choice, but it might be just a really fun, exciting, well-paid thing to do whilst you're doing something else. And even if it's not something you're going to get paid for, I think a lot of people become freelancers because they want to enjoy life more. Um, you know, I took up hula hooping this year. It's been wonderful. It's been so much fun. And I recently enrolled in an online harmonica course. So, you know, freelance copywriting um, has a lot of perks if you structure it correctly and do it in a way that frees up your time for the things that you really love. And I think just as a sort of a final statement too is you get to work with the people you like so that you're not forced to take on clients or products that you don't necessarily love or believe in. And I think that's that's got to be a good thing too. I've definitely become a bit pickier since becoming a retainer-based copywriter. When I have already know that I'm going to make enough money each month, uh, it means that I can be a lot more selective about what I take on. Emily, awesome. So many wonderful insights. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Bernadette. Thank you for having me. What I've taken from this podcast is that securing a long-term, highly paid retainer contract could be within your reach. All you have to do is ask for it. And by providing solid financial reasons why the client should do so, it could be the incentive they need to give you the go-ahead.
It can't hurt to ask, can it? The worst they can do is say no. And if they do, ask them why, and that will help you craft your pitch for your next client. Just keep going, keep asking, be persistent. Now, if you struggle with motivation or the imposter syndrome, as many of us do, one of the best ways to overcome it is to upskill and enroll in one of our short courses. Not only will it improve your skills, it will also unleash your confidence to get out there and ask for what you want and what you're worth. Or if you'd like to receive ongoing support, mentoring and motivation, join our community of copywriters at copyclub.com.au. Speaking of motivation, if you haven't already read the book On Writing by Stephen King about the craft of writing, I highly recommend you do. Here's a quote that resonated with me. Writing isn't about making money, getting famous, getting dates, getting laid or making friends. In the end, it's about enriching the lives of those who will read your work and enriching your own life as well. It's about getting up, getting well and getting over. Getting happy, okay? Getting happy. (laughs) They were Stephen's words and I think they're very pertinent because we're all here to obviously work for ourselves but if we change the focus to how we can help others and how we can help them build their business, we're more likely to go out there and be a lot more confident with selling our services to them. And my joke of the day, because I know you're waiting for it, is what did baby corn say to mama corn? Where's popcorn? Thank you for listening. If you liked this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's it from me. All the best and take care.